Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Happy New Year, listeners, and welcome to the first Menas Masterclass of 2022. In this episode, I'm joined by former Australian captain Alex Blackwell. Until recently, Alex Blackwell held the record for representing Australia the most times in women's cricket, having done so 251 occasions across Tests, One Day Internationals and T20 matches. She won multiple World Cups and Ashes series with the team, and is now a respected voice in the game. Enjoy this interview with Alex Blackwell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's the Amena's Masterclass Series, and I'm joined by one of the greats of Australian cricket, Alex Blackwell. Alex, welcome back to the podcast. You've just uh, released a new book, Fair Game. You must be pretty excited. Yeah, a lot happening at the moment, Andrew. Um, book coming out tomorrow and um i'm 36 weeks pregnant as well so i've got a baby about to arrive as well so um a lot happening some life-changing things and look this this book has been a really amazing process over the last couple of years working with megan maurice a very talented sports journalist and i'm very proud of what we've been able to put together and documenting a significant moment or or chunk of time in women's cricket, uh, the the time that I was a part of the national team and, yeah, I guess sharing my perspectives and observations. It's a fantastic book. I've read most of it. And, you know, what I really like about it is you don't shy away, and, and it's no surprise, but you don't shy away from really digging into some, you know, really important social issues and issues that, inter, you know, intersect with cricket. And, you know, they're, they're almost the focal point of this book or, uh, you know, how important these issues are for you. So um, I, I think it's obviously a great service um, to female sport for you to, to write this book. Yeah, look, I think I feel proud that I've found my voice. Um, throughout my career, sharing my perspectives and and really thinking about the game and feeling like I belonged enough to contribute to its direction um, and speak up when I felt that maybe we could do things differently and a little bit more inclusively. And um, I think my story will resonate with many female athletes um, and 
the the way that we enjoy sport and the influence I guess of growing up basically like I spent my childhood and my young adulthood in sport which in a male-dominated sport like cricket there is sexism there is homophobia and that has its impact on you as a person growing up and I guess in particular if you happen to also be uh, gay so you know that's been my experience and um, yeah I feel like I've agitated along the way to help people think about all right how do we welcome people who don't fit the norm who um, you know don't live this sort of heteronormative life that once was common for everybody you know we, there's so many different types of people who enjoy sport and we need to keep um, ensuring sport adapts to that yeah and it, i mean you document some of the challenges but i've just noticed um i mean for context my first published cricket article was in 2017 when elise villani um, came out she changed her twitter bio to an openly pray, proud gay athlete and i was researching at the time and you know when she did that you'd sort of been the only other female cricketer to take that step. So, you know, you were a trailblazer. You led the way for other female cricketers. I, I mean, what have your some of your teammates and others said to you about that? Mm. Yeah, it's, it wasn't my intention to sort of be the first publicly out uh, cricketer in, in Australia um, first female in the world to talk openly about um, being gay in, in cricket. Um, it was actually a male, Steve Davies, uh, in England. He was he played a few test matches, I believe, a wicketkeeper batter who was the first cricketer to come out as gay publicly. But, um, look, I think I didn't, I didn't sort of necessarily anticipate a lot of um, discussion from my teammates when, when I decided to do that. Um, but I have had really wonderful responses from past players who just weren't in a position to be able to, to speak freely. And I've, it's been amazing to hear um, the, the stories or, you know, some really lovely stories but some very difficult stories from past players who have said to me you know thank you for saying what we couldn't and I just feel really privileged that I'm in a country an era um, in a supportive family whereby I can enjoy these freedoms and be my true self and and I, I love my life you know wonderful relationship with my wife Lindsay and we're soon to welcome our first child into the world and I see that as an amazing um, privilege that others may not have been able to freely enjoy and I, I feel sad about that um, that it's been so recent that our female um, players um, even where are our male players you know that our gay athletes can be truly themselves and I think that's really only a very recent thing mm. um, and a, wonderful to have Elise Villani um, out and proud and um, doing great things as well. You talk about male athletes I think it was the first openly ma uh, gay male athlete of one of the four football codes came out recently uh, a league player so I mean it's small steps um one thing you said about finding your true self i was reading the book part of your character and not in, in all things seems to be that you don't mind having tough conversations it, it's almost like you know some people they just want calm waters around them but it sounds like to me you'd be probably like everyone would like calm waters but if if you see something that needs to be dealt with you don't mind rocking the boat you know where do you think that character that quality came from mm. well I, I think it comes from my upbringing that um, my parents sort of instilled in me that I'm no different to anyone else I'm no better and no worse than anyone else and um, and they encouraged me to pursue things that I was interested in 
and provided many different opportunities to to find out what I was interested in. So I did ballet and then I rushed from ballet to to soccer. Um, You know, we were provided as kids with so many different experiences and opportunities. So I think just that that notion that I'm worthy just as I am and, and no better or worse than anyone else. And if I feel that my opportunities are limited because of an attribute of mine, then I'll speak up. Um, I, I'm not sure, that Andrew, that I know any other way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't mean to make things difficult, um, but, yes, I have had difficult conversations um, with, you know, some of the most powerful people in our sport over the years. And, uh, look, I think that's such an important thing for our women to do more and more of because cricket is traditionally male-dominated and it's still um, mostly run by men. And I think that we need our women, our young women, sharing their views and and finding their voices. And I hope my story inspires others to to also think about the game and speak up. I think there is... um some resistance or people get uncomfortable talking about, you know, sexuality and cricket and, and those issues that, you know, merge with social issues. I've noticed that, you know, people don't really want to talk about them. And so uh, it's refreshing and important for cricketers and former cricketers like you to actually drive the agenda. And, you know, throughout the book, there is littered with examples of you driving the agenda, you know, writing to James Sutherland after the Alan Border medal in 2006, um, you know, taking your partner to the Alan Border medal four or five years later. I mean, these are things that if you don't take that first step, then they just don't happen. Yeah. And look, my approach has been that if I'm awkward about having these conversations, I can't expect other people to, to, to have these conversations freely. And look, you know, being gay is nothing to be ashamed of. And I think what has been difficult for, you know, my generation perhaps or generations gone by is that um, within society there's this expectation that, um, that you live a, a, a very sort of, as I said before, heteronormative life that anything deviating from that is is abnormal. But we know that that's not the case. I mean, the LGBTQI population is significant. A min- at a minimum, it's 11%. But as I've learned through, as, as you can imagine, I've been interested um, in in the topic of inclusion and I've seen research that tells us that actually our young people more strongly identify under that sort of rainbow umbrella. We've got perhaps more like a quarter that don't strictly identify as heterosexual, you know. And so a quarter of our young people coming through and choosing sports, I think cricket um, could be a really attractive option for both men and women, boys and girls, um, that we show we're not afraid to welcome everybody and we accept um, differences in sexuality and, and gender. And how great is it that cricket led the way with a trans and gender diverse inclusion policy, which you'll read about in the book as well. It was wonderful to participate in that policy development, something that's not easy to get right. And, you know, we took eight months to create those policies and one of the things I'm most proud of was making sure we had trans and gender diverse voices in the room when we were thinking about right how do we include this pocket of our society into our wonderful game yeah it's I mean that's such a a complex issue with like you speak about sort of rainbow culture the rainbow you know kids being attracted to that you know I've got two kids and it's not even about sexuality they just like the inclusive uh, feeling that goes along with you know um, LGBTQI activities that everyone's welcome and uh, it's not trying to put people in boxes so hopefully you know cricket can keep moving in in that direction Um, you you write that those off-field challenges have 
have sort of made you the person you are. Do you think, why is that? Well, it's taught me a lot about um, how to work with people who think differently and how crucial that is to be able to be at the same table with people who have very different views and to participate and to calmly and respectfully share my views so that as, as a group of people, we can come up with the, the best solutions. You know, I, I guess it's, um, it's been really um, something that I, I treasure, that I've had those experiences of challenging or, or necessary conversations that have taught me how to communicate better uh, when I'm with people who don't share my view. Because it's, it would be a shame if I didn't have those skills and so then I just stepped back and remained silent because my unique perspectives, I wouldn't be able to, you know, um, share those and, and, and enable them to have an influence on the direction. So, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's taught me um, some leadership skills and some life skills which are helpful. Um, you know, in, in lots of different settings in, in, in life. Um, but, I, yeah, I think ultimately when, you, when you're subjected to subtle messages over a very long period of time, growing up in Australia, growing up in Australian sport, where we know there, there's work to be done around homophobia, when you grow up and, and you're exposed to that and then you get to a point when you reject those notions it's it's wonderful because it it, it means that within my own self I feel worthy and and I feel good about who I am so yeah I guess um I I describe that as the making of me that you know coming up against those challenges and things that aren't wonderful experiences but to then the end result be that I don't believe there's anything wrong with me and I quite like the person I am that's a pretty nice gift it's hard for everybody to find that sometimes Alex Uh, (laughs) you talk about the sort of implicit and explicit kind of um, homophobia you Mm. encountered Uh, even you you talk about playing in cricket teams where you know other male administrators would ask you you know how many gay players were there and uh, you know, those things must have been quite distressing for you as uh, as a lesbian who just was grappling with your own sexuality. Mm. You're having this kind of negative messaging and, you know, that, that must have been really difficult. Yeah, because it's, it's an irrelevant question. I mean, it's hard to sort of understand what, what is the purpose of that question, um, you know, and, and what's the right answer? What, what would be accepted? to the people asking mm. the question um you know it's, it's why not, does it matter um why does it matter and you know sexuality doesn't determine how good you're going to be on the field but it does have an impact on as i've observed how you'll be celebrated um especially during years gone by and and they're the stories that I have documented which I you know I think is worthwhile for administrators to have a think about you know the practices of the past which were within you know all good intentions to try and promote our sport um, was trying to promote a certain image and discourage a certain image and move away from um, really celebrating the fact that there's out athletes in our team and um yeah that's that's really challenged me over the years and it's been something that I've um spoken out about and I'm pleased to say now when I watch the AFLW and I watch the WBBL and there's just really authentic stories about the athletes playing and they're very generous with sharing their stories and um you know we're hearing all sorts of lovely, um, you know, moments where, you know, women are marrying their female partners or welcoming children into the world um, in a same-sex relationship. And 
it's just normal now and and it's wonderful to see yeah that attitude you speak of about sort of administrators asking those kind of questions you know i've been bouncing around in cricket for a while and you know maybe 15 years ago you would hear that sort of talk but i have to say i've only heard one comment that like that in the last five years which for me is refreshing that it should be none but at least it's moving in the right direction uh I find it interesting, you know, you sort of talk about Cricket Australia, so the way they've promoted the women's game. You know, they have done wonderful things, and the WBBL is a testament to that. But it's interesting that kind of subtle messaging where they're, they're, the athletes and the players they're pushing forward and the other ones they're holding back, it's probably something that they could have done better. Yeah, look, I think to me there seemed to be deliberate sort of approaches to push forward particular types of players that would um, appear to, to, to the people in charge at the time um, be the, the recipe to success to sort of attract mothers to bring their daughters to play. I mean, you know, this, mm. this comment was not, not something I heard just once and it was very distressing for me to hear that maybe... I was viewed as some someone that they didn't believe mothers would want their daughters to emulate. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's um, certainly changed. You know, I, I used to have to get dressed up in ball gowns for photo shoots and have a cricket bat over my shoulder and you know, sw- pretend to play a shot wearing heels in um, promotional material. And I think that sort of stuff's dated now. Um, I feel like there's much more authentic ways that players are profiled um, and, you know, to, to hear the backstories of people like, you know, Jess Cameron who, you know, has a husband and a beautiful daughter and to hear her backstory that she's a spare parts mechanic and, you know, she on tour she would always get around in tracksuit pants and a cap and, you know, just... Why, why do we need to change that image um, to present to the world? I mean, I think she's been such a remarkable player and a great friend of mine who I've always respected for just being her true self. Um, and I think, you know, someone like her, as I described in the book, could, could have been pr- pushed forward because she was winning us World Cup finals off her own bat. And I felt like, you know, her image was hidden in a way, um, uh, you know, and I guess I must also admit that not everyone enjoys being in the limelight. So, you know, some people do suit it more than others, but I think we should all have an equal opportunity to promote our game and, and that's what we've got happening now. Yeah, it certainly um, moved on from just articles about Elise Perry um, to, you know, in-depth coverage of, of women's cricket and form issues. So, I, you know, I think we're slowly getting there. Um, you know, mental health is such an important issue in sport. And, you know, what you really outline is how the, the, what you came across in cricket affected your mental health and coming to terms with your sexuality stopped you coming out and stopped you dating. And, you know, I think if cricket is serious about mental health in young people, then they have to get this right, making everyone feel comfortable so that when they go back home from their cricket club, they're not taking away that negative energy that it seems like you took with you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that just makes me think that um, the problem isn't the gayness. The, The problem is that young people who feel they might be gay are not in an environment which is telling them that that's totally okay. So we can work on that environment and we should not at all focus on having less gayness. You know, gayness is a natural thing. It's a part of human experience. And, um, you know, in some pursuits, there's, there's more gay people than others and, and that's okay. But, um, yeah, I think what we do need to do, do is support young people during that difficult period of their life where they're 
figuring out, figuring out who they are, they're doing their HSC, they're trying to figure out their career path, they're under scrutiny, they're playing cricket on live TV. And those pressures are real. And if we can um, help remove some of the unnecessary pressures, um, then I think that would go a long way to support mental health. Um, and I, I do write in the book a, a little bit about the, as I mentioned before, the trans and gender diverse inclusion policy. We know that trans and gender diverse people have a much higher rate of mental ill health. And we know that sport and physical activity is such a good antidote to that. And so it's great that cricket's opened its doors um, to you know, more and more trans and gender diverse people to, to, to come and try our sport and, and fully participate. I think that's something we can be very proud of. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like in reading the book that the shift started in, in like to see real difference when the WBBL started and the BBL and, uh, you know, clubs like the Sydney Sixers that are leaders have pride nights and stuff. It's, is that right that you think Cricket Australia, when the WBBL, all of a sudden they saw there was money involved in it, thought, well, we'd better run this properly? Do you mean run the, the Pride events properly? Oh, just the whole around inclusivity and promoting mm. the women's game better and, as you say, uh, promoting a range of female mm. cricketers, not just the ones mm. that fit their sort of ideal. It, um, you know, it was around that 2017, 2018 when it started to shift. Yeah, it's hard to know, like, what the sort of real impetus for change is um, and was. I feel like that the players themselves being really generous with their their own stories and, and speaking more freely these days has generated a sort of organic change um, that inclusion and um, pride rounds, et cetera, uh, are, are sort of necessary to sort mm. of acknowledge what, what's going on in our sport. And, and I, I think that... Um, cricket, like many other sports, understand that it makes good business sense to include more people um, and that it's about our longevity as a sport and our, our long-term prosperity, I guess, um, that our society changes and we need to move with the times and ensure that our doors are open to everyone. Um, and, th and that's not an easy thing to do. but um, I'm so pleased to see what uh, the Sydney Sixers have achieved in engaging with uh, an organisation called Rainbow Families. So seeing them doing sort of special days, um, engaging with families who may have two mums or two dads or, you know, families, shapes and sizes. And uh, they've also done a great job in, in, in creating a sort of rainbow fan club and I think all of our BBL squads and teams could do that and and really get uh, a lot of fun happening around the grounds and in the stadiums. I certainly um, I love the pride night at the Big Bash uh, the Sydney Sixers now uh, I enjoyed the bit about you know you you, you wrote about your uh, contributions to the marriage equality debate and you spoke to Pete Lawler and you released a, a statement on your social media. Uh, but you you drop in a little story about Stephen O'Keefe coming up to you in the gym and saying he was voting yes to marriage equality. And I, I'm just wondering, was putting that story in by O'Keefe intentional? Because, you know, he received a lot of publicity for some, you know, vulgar and unsavoury remarks he made to a female cricketer at the Cricket New South Wales Awards dinner. I just wonder why you put Stephen O'Keefe's story in there. Uh, you know, certainly not overthinking it mm. as a story. It just sort of um, was a part of what was going on, um, I guess, demonstrating that male and female cricketers do interact regularly. Um, we train side by side and, you know, people like Stephen and, and, and people of his era or, or even younger now 
um, understand that women are a serious part of our sport. And I guess, yeah, I wanted to demonstrate that. But, um, you know, I was, it, what it does do, that story uh, demonstrates that while the marriage equality debate um, was pretty horrific, actually, for gay people and um, really was very hurtful, there were some silver linings and, and that, what, that was an example of one, you know, a, a conversation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. For, for, for he and I to, I guess, have a moment where we go, he's acknowledging that my rights are equal to his and, you know, I, I, you know I've really respected that and I do talk about some other conversations that were opened up sort of in my... Um, family circles around that time and, and how important it was for people to be able to talk about um, the, the rights of gay people, whether that be their, their own children or themselves or people in their family, that um, it made us all stop and think, do these people in, deserve equal rights? Um, and the answer was yes, which I'm so pleased that you know, the number 62 or 3% of Australians said yes. And initially I felt like that wasn't a big enough number, but we got, we got it done. And, um, yeah, I was pleased to play a small part in, in it being, I guess, a public voice at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, are there any sort of administrators or players or anyone that you've really sort of, um, you know, sort of gelled with and, and found like a real, um, you know, momentum with to make change? Yeah, look, um, I can't go past our current CEO of um, Nick Hockley at Cricket Australia. Um, I have a lot of confidence with him in that he, he, he gets the inclusion and diversity um, issue and he, he sees it as a priority and I've, I've seen him sort of genuinely participate in it you know and and just quietly participate in it and and that to me has given me great confidence um you know he, he's done that for many years prior to becoming our CEO and um yeah look I think um I think he's someone who can really take this forward also um Mel Jones, director of Cricket Australia. She's someone who, you know, we, she and I share in-depth conversations on this topic and can see that cricket could be real, a real leader uh, in Australian sport. We already have been in many respects, but we can't sort of be complacent. You know, I look at the way the AFLW have done their pride round and their, their rainbow jerseys and, yeah, I think they've done a great job, but sometimes I think the AFL, they're quite splashy and, you know, things look good on the outside and I don't actually know what's going on on the inside. And sometimes cricket appears to be slow and steady and, and trying to make meaningful change and not rush. And perhaps in the past I've been a bit tough on administrators because I'm in a bit more of a rush, <laughs> I'm a bit impatient. Well, revolutions are messy, Alex, that's for sure. Um, uh, a couple of, um, well, what about some of the issues now then? Um, so current issues, I've got a few. So I wonder how we should be treating same-sex couples within cricket teams, because I think this is an issue that's sort of there, and it's only going to get more of it. You know, how, how do we handle that? I guess, you know, I sort of throw it back to you a little bit and, and try and sort of understand what, what the potential problem of that would be. Um, I think we have had same-sex relationships within, um, within teams and, you know, that occurs in many... Well, we have re relationships in many workplaces. And I think it just comes down to as long as um, 
the behaviours that are demonstrated by those people involved meet the expectations of the team and the expectations of the organisation, then I, I don't see that there's any issue. Um, you know, I think it's more of a fear of um, potential issues than actually the reality. Uh, so, look, uh, they, we just have to um, not focus on the person or the, 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 the particular relationship. We need to focus on the behaviours. Mm. Um, and ensure that everyone is educated around what what workplace behaviour is acceptable and, and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm coming from. No, it's more from a workplace. How do they handle it? And therefore, I mean, you know, say a, a captain, you know, is dating someone who they have to drop, you know, how do they handle yeah. that? Yeah, you know? and then that's, that's a great example of, you know, dealing with conflict of interest. And I, I um, learned how to do that as a board director on Cricket New South Wales where I was the captain of the Sydney Thunder and sitting on the board. You know, you have to sometimes excuse yourself in, in certain decisions. Um, and I think that's, you know, as a director, I, and I went through that education of how to be a director and, dealing with conflict of interest is, is, is a big part of that. And mm. so I think we can take some of those corporate skills and knowledge into um, our sporting teams and, and just deal with it professionally. But what I'm saying, do you think it is being dealt with at the moment? Like, is it openly talked about? Uh, I'm not sure that it's openly talked about and maybe this is a really great opportunity for people to just be able to speak their mind. And I think, you know, one one thing that um, is highlighted in the book is my openness to hear what Eddie Maguire was really trying to say about predatory behaviour in the AFL, um, a- AFLW. He, he felt that there was a connection with predatory behaviour and and, um, gay women. And, in fact, there there was some real, really important um, topics he was raising. And and while I was offended with his um, profiling of of lesbians as more likely to to be predatory, um, there's something in what he's saying. He's talking about workplace behaviour. He's... He's talking a bit about what you've raised, you know, relationships within teams. And I think people need to be able to speak freely, trying to use good language that's not discriminatory, but, you know, have have robust conversation that goes back and forth. Um, and, yeah, we, we need to be able to put it all out there on the table. And I think that's one thing I've tried to do is not be awkward in my conversations about uh, LGBT inclusion, um, you know, I understand not everyone views uh, the inclusion of gay people in sport at the same way. They see different issues or, or different benefits or drawbacks and to what I would. And we, we move forward by listening to each other. So I, I don't think that issue is um, right, like completely out on the table, but, I also don't think it's a big deal. It's it's not it's it's rare, um, and it's also mostly handled by our codes of conduct. But um, if those codes aren't appropriate, or co- if they don't cover this um, this particular issue, we just need to revisit that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the predatory behaviour stuff's silly uh, because uh, i mean that's wrong in any workplace male female whoever does that is wrong so it doesn't matter whether they're lesbian straight you just that's bad behavior and it doesn't it comes from all types of people um and also do you you know i think some men stupidly think that uh you know you send a a female into a, a dressing room, maybe they'll come out gay. Like all of a sudden they're, they're, they're all going to like change um, because they played a game of cricket with some people. So I think that's sort of outdated and sort of attitudes from dinosaurs. Um, what about the, the most pressing issue? No free-to-air coverage of the 50-over yeah. Women's World Cup. I mean, that is 
disgraceful. It just doesn't seem to make business sense because we, we've got the numbers. We've got the numbers of viewers who tune into women's cricket and top property at the moment. You know, this is the world champion T20 team taking on, um, you know, trying to win that 50-over World Cup back from, from England, who are the second best team in the world, in my opinion. Um, you, you know, if, if we're happy to broadcast the Men's World Cups, I think we're really missing out and you know, Channel 9 are missing out really of um, putting on the women. Um, yeah, it just does not make sense to me um, because it, it's a backward step as well. It, you know, it, it doesn't show that genuine vision of we're going to make women's sport um, equally as entertaining uh, as men's sport because it does come down to the production side of things as well if, if you have few cameras you know poor poor vision and you've got you know not great but maybe you're commentating from um, studio yeah. all the time which you know is unavoidable we've done it a lot during COVID and done a pretty good job but if you put the resources into it I think you get a wonderful product back because I mean I love watching the WBBL. I, I find the BBL less entertaining um, at the moment. And that's just how I'm, I'm sort of experiencing it. But, um, yeah, once you put on the, uh, once you put on the um, World Cup with equal production, um, sort of the bells and whistles, then the viewers will tune in. Thankfully, your employers at Fox Cricket, Maddie Weiss, have um, decided to show the Women's World Cup on KO freebies. So you can watch me commentate on grey cricket for free and you can watch the Women's World Cup. So you choose, listeners. Um, That's awesome. And I, I would say that it's wonderful to see Elisa Healy putting her weight behind that. She made a few comments on Twitter which seem to have been heard and it's, yeah, just great to see another female, you know, finding their voice and just saying it how it is. And, um, you know, good on Elisa for helping get that change across the line. Absolutely. She's not shy in stepping forward. What about inclusive language? I find it really weird when people resist change, like from batsman to batter or, you know, third man to third. Mm. Uh, it just makes sense to me that you want language that you can use on all on all parts of the game. I think it's an easy change to demonstrate that we're welcoming everybody, in particular female cricketers who have not enjoyed uh, equal opportunity in our game for since it began. Um, and women have had such an influence on our game, you know, in a positive way. We've created overrun bowling. Um, mm. we, we played the first World Cup. Um, we've you know, doubled the amount of cricket you get to watch. Isn't that wonderful? So, yeah, Absolutely. I just think it's an easy shift. Who does it harm by mm. changing, you know, making these words shorter? That's I right. don't think it harms anyone. And it's a very clear demonstration of what we're trying to do. So I think it's a shame if people sort of push back on it. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I commentated on some New South Wales women's premier cricket and, um, you know, you, you see the atmosphere around the game there. It's such, so lovely. Everyone's enjoying the game. So it just makes sense. That the language should reflect everyone participating. And um, yeah, so I, I'm, I hope we're getting there. Like I really get annoyed my, with myself when I make a mistake because you just might say third man because you've said it for 30 years. But um, yeah, yeah and people and are I trying. Do the same. I, I, I'll still slip up. We won't get it perfect all the time, but it's it's those who are um, really objectionable with it that I find interesting. I'm just thinking, you know, who does it harm to sort of try and use more inclusive language? Yeah, silly. Um. Our last couple of questions, Alex, I know you've got a lot on, but um, 
So reading the book, it, it seems like the end of your Australian cricket career was, I would say, challenging. The, the changes within the team, you write about Matthew Mott's appointment as, uh, you know, taking a while for you to adjust to that. Um, you know, Meg Lanning's um, elevation to the skipper. It's, it's, you know, it seems like it was a difficult sort of transition out of the team for you. Um, yeah, look, I, 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 I guess that's highlighted by how I speak about the 2017 World Cup, one in which we were favourites and we went on to lose it. And, um, it was a tournament where I, I felt that I wasn't managed particularly well as a senior player and, you know, an important member of the team. Um, some decisions around essentially non-captaincy as the vice-captain I found very difficult to understand and I, and I felt the communication was was uh, a little flimsy. But, um, you know, you, you've got to move on. You've got to continue to try and um, perform on the field in, in my role as a batter, even though I felt a bit sort of put aside in terms of, my abilities to to contribute to the tactics and the leadership of 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 our campaign. So, yeah, it's um it's a bit sort of confronting that that tournament. It was the hardest tour by far from a you know how I felt managed as a player. Um, you know, in my fifteen years, that was the toughest tour. Um, yeah, right. Because of those challenges, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think what I'm trying to do there is have a, a critique of our performance and the women's team should be analysed and critiqued for performance. And, you know, I've heard Elise Perry call for this, that it shouldn't all be glossy in the papers. We should be actually caring about what's happening within the team, the selections. We should be debating it. And um, I guess I do sort of shine a bit of a light on what, what occurred during that tournament. Um, and, you know, some people might find that, yeah, their questions are sort of answered because it was a bit baffling, some of the decisions that were made at that time. Yeah, sounds like things have, I think they've developed, hopefully, um, with the way the team's going. But it sounds like there was issues there that did spur the team on to, do really well after that. They decided to yeah. play fearless cricket um, from then on. But, you know, you in that semi final made 90, was it or close to 90? Yeah, I got, I was the last wicket to fall. I yeah. Let my, my number 10, my number 11 batted down. Yeah, you almost um, got Australia over the line there <laughs> in a desperate yeah, it situation. My, it was my best ever personal performance, but yeah, absolutely gutted that. India were too good for us on that day. Um, so, yeah, it's um, maybe it's good timing because the, the Aussie women have a World Cup to win to sort of avenge what happened in 2017 when we were not at Lords at a sellout mm. playing against England in a match. You know, I'd back us to win. I, I just feel so devastated that we didn't. I know we've got a lot of World Cups for Australia, but I felt we could have had another one. And yeah. Australia are favourites again going into the, the World Cup in New Zealand in a few months, and I think they're going to do really well. Yeah, I love those insights into the team, and I, I hope the listeners go and read them because it does give you a great look into you know how the Australian women's cricket team functions. Last time I had you on this podcast, Alex, you were the most capped Australian female player 251 times. Unfortunately, now you're the second most <laughs> capped. Uh, so uh, Elise Perry is now the most capped. I think she's a 253 uh, before the Women's Ashes Test, maybe 254 when this is released. Uh, I guess um, how proud are you of, you know, representing Australia 250-plus times? And then, you know, what was it like to see someone you played so many games mm. with eclipse you? Oh, look, to play one game for Australia is a great achievement. I, I'm, you know, astonished I was able to squeeze enough out of my talent to, to play for that long. Um, I was absolutely chuffed that Elise Perry surpassed me. Like, what a legend. Yeah, what, 
arguably our greatest ever player. Still, still going strong. I know. Yeah, her her emission from the T Twenty side was a bit of a shock to people, and that'll spur her on to continue to grow her game. But um, yeah, I I actually um, I'm so thrilled that it was Elise that surpassed me in that record because a lot of the 251 games I played was was alongside her, and she's a very special athlete, one that we're very lucky to have playing cricket and. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching her in a, in a couple of days' time, the Ashes Test match. Can't wait. Absolutely. She's a trailblazer, but so have you been, Alex. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on Cricket Unfiltered again and Mena's Masterclass. Uh, if you're listening, go and find A Fair Game by Alex Blackwell with Megan Morris. It's an important book. You know, there are some sports autobiographies that are good, but I think this is not just very good, but important. So go and find it. Um, and we'll, you know, be listening to you on ABC Grandstand, watching you on Fox Cricket. And um, I'm sure you're going to take some maternity leave soon. So best of luck with a huge <laughs> year ahead. Yep, big year ahead. Andrew, thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed that Menas Masterclass as much as I did. I really love diving into the difficult issues that face our sport. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for supporting the podcast and I'll be back soon with another Menas Masterclass. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting it's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com sports social podcast network i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day press one if you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.